0: That's right. You heard it here. I don't know if that—if you're a listener, do you feel like does that encourage people to stick around? Was that a good tease, or was that like an anti-tease? Are they
1: going to make a run for it because they're like,
0: yeah. You know, more <laughs> yeah, exactly, not in your neighborhood? So, Stinky Streets Edition, somewhere in the world, we'll find out what that means. That's that's our if this week. It's just a tease, just a tease. Uh, we are here with um, uh, that first uh, lovely voice you heard was uh, Professor Matthew Stanley from New York University. How are the streets uh, smelling today down there in Washington um, Square? They're
1: not my favorite smells, um, but yeah. I should say my dog was pretty excited when I was walking her this morning <laughs> because she found a big pile of um, bones that she wanted to, to go through. Ooh. So um Delicious. Hopefully, animal bones, but I did not look that close. <laughs>
2: you never. Close. Could, you are not that far into the wilderness of New York City. That's a little terrifying. You are like right there in the center.
1: <laughs> um, well, Washington yeah, but, you Square know, is a—it's a graveyard. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. just a, a matter of time until she digs deep enough to find somebody interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, and that was Gabby Penicia from uh, Rockefeller University, a little further uptown, where I think the, the streets of Rockefeller smell lovely. It's, it's a beautiful garden. Well,
2: inside Rockefeller, yes. Outside Rockefeller, no, because there's a lot of Upper East Side people who take their dogs past here, and, oh. you know, there's there's grass and stuff like that, so the dog sees it and it's like, yeah, I'm going to poop right now. So, like, there's always smears of dog poop out front of the university. <laughs> there's something about
0: cuz I know that emblazoned on the side of the, the wall there is along is it York Avenue or First Avenue that It's York, yeah. York, right? And there's a big all these giant brass letters and it says Rockefeller Washington. and there's I just have an image of all this dog poop underneath it. That just seems funny, you know, to me.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Although, today's if will be taking us back to the time of uh, the earlier Rockefellers, uh, when Rockefeller was really king of New York. Some of, some, of, some of that period, so that could be kind of interesting. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, first of all, any, any updates? Just real quick, uh, last week we did a monkeypox update. So uh, if anyone had any questions from that episode, go, feel always feel free to contact us. You can, uh, The easiest thing, I think, is just go to our website, whattheif.com, and you can shoot us a note from there. But uh, anything new that came up or a- anything new in the news about monkeypox or COVID or anything you want to bring us? Nothing yeah,
2: I mean, particularly that I've seen. Basically yeah. just, you know, if you are in an at-risk group, try your best to get vaccinated. I know there's yeah. not a lot of vaccine to go around, um, but if... You can get it. It's definitely preferred.
0: Yeah, yeah. I saw the head of the CDC. Uh, I think her name is Dr. Walensky. Uh, decided to basically fire all these other, basically reorganize the entire organization. Uh, I mean,
2: it's a shame that it's it's panned out the way that it has, like the the response being so disorganized. Because yeah. at one point I was talking, well, not talking, but I was in a meeting with a lot of like higher level like public health officials including people from the cdc nih and stuff like that and they had like a good plan like they were on it like they knew like messaging wise what they wanted to do and it's just a shame that like all of these other levels of distribution have failed to satisfy the like clear attack plan that they had lined up because they knew what they were looking at and they were very very confident like oh we can we can do x y or z like if just x y and z happens and we can put that in place and the fact that they weren't able to do that because of other inf- like infrastructure mismanagement sucks.
0: Yeah, 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 That's frustrating. Frustrating. Well, having a leader of the country who was also completely out of his mind <laughs> didn't help. <so>. Um, <laughs> proposing all sorts of alternative therapies. So, um, but public health leads us to our idea for our if this week. Um, so actually, Gabby, it was, this this idea was cooked up in a cauldron by Gabby and Matt together prior to the show. Um, and uh, so maybe you could just set, set the context a little bit, and then we will uh, announce the if with all the fanfare with which it is due as we initiate our, our thought experiment. And actually, to begin, Matt, why don't you help us uh, help people understand what, what is this thing that they have, what, what is this stinky street they have wandered
1: onto? Oh, this is the um, the kind of thing that happens when you're walking through your neighborhood late at night and not really paying attention, and suddenly you find yourself on a street that looks kind of familiar, but you can't quite remember if it's the, the one you're trying to be on, um, and then you realize that something is a little bit different than what you expect. Oh, um, that's good. Uh, and that's kind of what we do here, is um, it looks like we're talking about the universe except for something is a little different. Um, we change a little something, the number of toes human has humans have, um, uh, whether parmesan is soft or a hard cheese, um, or something in uh, the course of history., um, and then we discover uh, what it is that uh, has been left behind by this change that we've made.
0: indeed, indeed. and I think I think um the inspiration, by the way, for this show is is sort of what happens in not just regular science fiction but hard science fiction where they they uh, the science fiction author has an idea for something and then they try to use as much real science as possible in exploring the one fanciful idea and um so um uh today's show is we, we have different genres as well i feel like today's show is kind of in an alternate history or alternate future uh kind of zone and so gabby it began with gabby you were saying you were just reading a book recently about um, the search for antibiotics or something. What, what was that?
2: Oh, no, that was, um, it was actually a while ago. It was sort of a oh, different book. Um, yeah. Basically, we were discussing a, a, a scientist in the past who got very, very close to discovering something earlier than right, right, it right. was sort of actually discovered. Um, and so I had read this really interesting book called um, Plagues and the Paradox of Progress. Um, discussing sort of modern medicine and the way that's interfaced with like public health um, and essentially one of the central thesis of the book, theses I guess of the book, was that um, a lot of what are now considered first world countries, like understand it's an outdated term, um, they, because they were investing in the infrastructure for public health, things like um sewers you know so you weren't just tossing waste out into the street um before um we had anything like antibiotics any more complicated or more modern medicine techniques and stuff like that um that might have otherwise mitigated um the general uncleanliness um and so because we have all of these actual public health um infrastructure things um it it's sort of like a we're automatically a little bit better off. And so by just throwing medicines at countries that don't have this infrastructure, we're not actually solving their problems. We're just sort of putting a Band-Aid on it. Um, and it was really the investment in public health infrastructure because there wasn't modern medicine that's actually preventing more of the outbreaks.
0: Right, right, right. And and Matt, you were, um, this is kind of how the sausage is made. This is how the if comes together. And and so you were talking about a scientist named John Tyndall, I
1: believe. Yeah, that's right. So um, this uh, British scientist, uh, or Irish, depending on how nationalist uh, you want to be, um, uh, working in the second half of the 19th century. Um, he's the head of the Royal Institution in London, um, which is sort of... Um, I don't know, one of the first public science education institutions um, where sort of the public comes in for free lectures to to learn about stuff. Maybe the equivalent of the um, uh, Rose Planetarium here um, in New York uh, for the mm-hmm. late 19th century. Um, uh, nowadays, Tyndall um, is uh, known for his contributions to um, the greenhouse effect. That is, he's the, the person who figures out that carbon dioxide can trap uh, infrared light and therefore heat. Um, He's just studying it because he's interested in infrared light. Um, He's not aware of any of the the climatological consequences of that. But nonetheless, that's where you usually see his name these days. Um, But actually, because he's interested in um, uh, the way light moves through air, um, he gets interested in dust. Um, and how dust hanging in air can change the way light moves through it. And because he gets interested in dust hanging in air, um, he becomes part of the early debate around what nowadays we call germ theory. Um, So one of the big questions of the day, this is the 1860s or so, um, is whether disease is carried by tiny little critters um, that at the time they just call germs. They don't know the difference between bacteria and, and viruses yet. Um, or if these, um, uh, these disease-carrying germs spontaneously appear in various places. Um, mm, so mm. Tyndall um, says, well, let's do um, some experiments. Um, and in particular, he uh, the, the way you check for germs in the day, uh, this is before, you know, scanning electron microscopes or even Petri dishes, <laughs> um, mm. is oh, wow. you take something and uh, some food, usually, and see if it rots. And if it rots, then you take the rotten food and you smear it onto um, your microscope um, and see if you see little things moving around. And if so, then you say, yes, there's germs there. Um,
0: I'm going to guess this this began during
1: lunch one day. Somebody. Well, it's really a fantastically disgusting um, kind of practice. <laughs> I, I cannot uh-huh. imagine what the smells must have been like in this lab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tyndall sets up this um, uh, these series of experiments where he says, let's just check and see. Let's grab flasks of air um, and make sure nothing else gets in that flask other than just the regular dust in the air. Um, and then expose that air to um, uh, potentially to food that can rot. Um, he liked to use essentially um, bullion, just like soup stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, see if anything grows in that. And if, it, if something grows in it, then that means there's germs uh, just floating around in the air. Um, and the consequences for this are really big because if, um, if he's correct that um, germs can just float through the air, then that means disease can be carried that way. And you should do things like, for instance, I should say he suggests if he's right, we should all wear masks. Um, huh? and that will help filter out um, uh, these germs. Hugely controversial idea at the time. Wow. Um, so uh, he Unlike sets Unlike now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so Tyndall actually does kind of an amazing thing. He essentially writes to everybody he knows and sends them these little glass flasks and says, catch me huh? some air huh? in your house or wherever it is you live, and then send them back to me, and I'll check awesome. and see if anything grows, see if there's any crowdsourced Crowdsourced. Uh, it's that's exactly lab. it. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing um, amongst other things. The he old
2: writes. citizen science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, amongst other peeps, um, he's friends with Charles Darwin. So um, Darwin <sighs> sends out these little flasks to all of his children who are living kind of around the world by this point, too. Wow. So the Darwin family is involved. Um, and uh, spoiler alert, um, Uh, Tyndall finds that no matter where the air comes from, there's germs in it. Mm. Um, He's able to cultivate germs for any flask of air that you give him. Does he Um, find different, is he able to recognize those
0: as different germs? Well, that's
1: part of what the experiment is, is to see if once he establishes that there's germs everywhere, Um, Mm. are they different in different places? So he starts experimenting with things like um, different growth mediums, right? What if I give it different kinds of food and whatnot? Um, and one day he discovers that some of his tubes um, get screwed up. Um, that is, the, the bacteria in them are dying. And he's yeah. like, crap. Because <laughs> remember, his, his goal here is to grow as much bacteria as possible so he can understand them. Um, but these particular tubes, I think, if I remember right, there's three of them, um, have some mold growing on them. Uh, And he checks, and it's penicillin mold. Um, And the bacteria is all dying in these tubes. And his conclusion is that uh, the mold has grown over the top and therefore starved the bacteria of air. And that's why they're dying. Um, So he writes to his friend. Just to clarify, the penicillin mm -hmm. is a mold. Mm And the germ is a bacteria. That's right. There's penicillin mold just everywhere, just floating around. Um, uh-huh. And some of it happened to settle on these tubes. Um, right. uh, and uh, uh, the bacteria is dying. Um, and he actually writes to his friend Huxley. Um, this is the, the grandfather of Julian Huxley, the writer, um, uh, who is a physiologist and better at this kind of stuff than, than Tyndall is. And Huxley says, yeah, it's definitely um, penicillin mold, um, but it's not uh, it's not starving the bacteria of air. It actually looks like it's killing the bacteria. And Tyndall's like, well, I guess my experiment is ruined, and doesn't think anything else of it. (laughs) So with hindsight, we realized that Tyndall almost accidentally discovered antibiotics. Um, But this is something interesting that happens in the history of science a lot, is he wasn't interested in killing bacteria. He was interested in growing bacteria. So something that killed bacteria was actually inconvenient for him. So he doesn't pay any attention to the consequences of that.
0: Wow. Um, and no one he,
1: no one who he mentions this to picks up on. That's right. And Huxley, I should say, right. has no excuse because he's actually a doctor, so he should have picked <laughs> up on this. <laughs> he should have picked up on this immediately. Wow. So I think our point of departure is Huxley spends an extra ten minutes looking at this data um, <laughs> oh. and says, "You know what? I wonder if we took this mold and put it on some bacteria." Intentionally, maybe we could kill the bacteria before it made people sick. Or even once they were sick, if we gave them some of this, maybe they could get better. Wow. So this so, is 1873.
0: Uh, so the if, uh, ha, 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 what would the if be in concise well, form? Well, I
1: think the if in concise form is, what if we discovered antibiotics in 1873?
0: All right. So we ask, ready the band. Are you guys ready? Ready. Everyone's getting ready they're putting on their masks, which will make it interesting for the brass instrument players wearing masks as they blow into yes. the trumpet. <laughs> <That's> right. Right. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen, for your commitment to safety. What the if? Antibiotics were discovered in the 1870s. How would our world be changed? One can only imagine. And what year, so, uh, how many decades in advance of when it actually happened in our timeline are we talking uh, so That'll Was be about different? six decades in advance. 60 years? 60 years. What if antibiotics were discovered 60 years prior to when they were in our sad timeline? Um, that's about uh, two and a half generations, I believe, is that Yeah, right? oh, three yeah. generations, three mm-hmm. generations prior. Um, so your, let's see, three generations would be, so your, there's your parents, grandparents, your great-grandparents. Would that be correct? Our great-grandparents? Uh, yeah, that'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, they're great. Anyway, uh, John Tyndall, first of all, does the Nobel
1: Prize exist then? it does not yet exist um, he would he so would be getting the, that. the copley medal from the royal society would be right. the equivalent which is pretty cool i'm sure he would have been happy with that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah he could have then looked for bacteria growing on it that'd be kind of fun that's <laughs> right he just passes the metal around and then checks yeah. it for bacteria at the end yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um so how would the, how, how do we begin so, the, so, so, so the, the day well, so... he discovers it, the world mm-hmm.
1: changes. And what does he do? What do you think happens? Um, from... So he and Huxley come up with a, a new method of treatment, um, which I would expect to be pretty similar to what Alexander Fleming does back in the 19, or in the 1930s and 1940s, um, which is distill down the, um, uh, the good part of the mold that actually does that work. Um, mm-hmm. And then they figure out how to produce it um, on a large scale. Uh, And when people get, um, uh, you know, strep throat, they can now go to the doctor, and are given a pill, um, instead of before, when um, they would just uh, get sicker and sicker and possibly die. (laughs) Would this?
0: It's Um, funny. mm -hmm. I was thinking that right at this time. Well, in the 1860s, we the U.S. was in the middle of a civil war, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure wars tend to cause a, a lot of horrible disease as well because a lot of people running around. Um but it makes me think of things like um we it, it's known that World War One was a great or was that more about a virus? I was gonna say World War One was a, a horrible
1: vector for disease. Um, well it was it was a vector for the flu. Um right um, which wouldn't have
0: been affected by this is that right because it's a virus. Uh, yeah that would not have. Right, right, right. But so, so how is so he's in he's in Great Britain. Um, I imagine there's all kinds of horrible things going on. Um, suddenly, penicillin exists. Um, how might the society be changed and how long would it take for like does 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 uh, Ireland suddenly become Ireland, London, Edinburgh? Do these places suddenly become much healthier?
1: Uh, well, certainly, um, big cities like London become. Um, uh, let's hear. So, actually, this is maybe we we need to get into our smelly streets here. I think. Um, oh, right. Yes. So, my favorite into the sense smelly for streets.
0: <laughs> my yes. favorite sense for describing
1: how cities used to be really different is that in the um, in the as late as in the 1850s here in New York City, um, pig napping was a big problem. What? And this is. <laughs> Uh, this is an interesting thing, because this tells you that ordinary people living in New York City would have pigs. Um, and you would just let your pig out onto the street in the morning, and then huh? it would run around eating garbage. Um, and huh? because there was so much garbage in the streets, you could feed a pig just by letting it run around. And there was enough uh, garbage, <laughs> essentially, that everybody's pig could eat enough garbage to survive. And this was an Wonderful. important source of food. Um, so this, of course, gave rise to pig nappers, um, people who would come into the city oh. with a wagon and just grab pigs off the street and then make oh a run God. for it. So now I have to say that I thought you were talking about was that the pigs would go and
0: they would eat a lot and they got tired and then they the, the streets were full of <laughs> sleeping, sleeping pigs. pigs. No, that's Napping an entirely pigs. different if.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> So the, the so picture pig, pig stealing, yeah, no, that's right. Okay. So the picture I want to, to paint of cities yeah. at this point is that they right. are so filthy and disgusting um, that there are literally millions of happy pigs roaming around, <laughs> happy because of how gross the city is.
2: That is. Amazing. And I'll add too that like you know even into the early 1900s in New York City, a lot of it was still farmland. So Mm -hmm, we, my university started as a farm, and there's a picture of the first faculty member, which was a goat, that was just left on the property. (laughs) Um, And there was just really nothing else up here. It was just farms. So really, all of the people were concentrated towards lower Manhattan, and it was dense, and there were pigs, and everything else was just farms, but with more space between them. So it was still not necessarily... The kind of nice, orderly, you know, sewage pipes, et cetera, kind of New York City. Okay.
1: Right. Got right. Um, yeah. So without antibiotics, <laughs> um, the and uh, you know, I want to stress here that Tyndall's experiments were or again were not intended to sort of produce something like antibiotics it was trying to determine what it was that caused disease in the first place this was still unclear um so the big competitor for germ theory was what was called mi- miasma theory um which was the idea that uh filth say piles of rotting stuff in the street um generated disease like it sent out little disease rays um, uh. Uh, so, if you, so the, the, you know, this explained why if you lived in a really dirty neighborhood, you were more likely to get sick. Yeah, that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, if you think that's the case, then if you want to reduce disease, um, an easy way to do that is to clean up, right? Is to build something like sewers to carry the filth out of the city. Um, and it turns out that even if germ theory is correct, that's still a pretty good thing to do <laughs> because you're not exposing um. people to germs quite so much. Um, so the late 19th right, century. They, they were, well, could we say that they were correct mm. that the garbage
0: caused disease? It's just that the mechanism or, or for the wrong,
1: Yeah, for the wrong reason. Right. Just didn't understand the mechanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this kind of, um, um. <clears throat> excuse me. so building sewers actually does help people enormously. In ter- so if you look at, um, you know, infectious disease rates in the late 19th century, they drop off really, really rapidly. So huge numbers of people are survived. Um, but it's not because of antibiotics or medical treatment. It's because we finally got the poop out of the water supply. Um, so that's the kind of infrastructure that, that Gabby was talking about is we, we built infrastructure that actually saved lives. Um, right. But if we had antibiotics, maybe we wouldn't bother. Because we'd be like, well, now we've figured out what actually makes people sick, and we have a way to treat it. So let's just give them pills. Um, so why bother building sewers? So is that true, Gabby? That if you that if you treat
0: people with antibiotics, they can still they their lives will improve, even while they live in still remaining nineteenth um, century esque polluted environments.
2: Yeah, so it would change some of the sort of math of whether a person is going you jacked
0: up on the uh, antibiotics.
2: Yeah, well, it's more like that, you know, a cut could be really fatal if, it. you know, you were in such a dirty environment and you get something in it and then all of a sudden that festers and you've got blood poisoning and you're dead. Um, and so stuff like this was really kind of common to get. Um, and so now this sort of changes the math of that right that now instead of a person who has this festering cut that you're like eh, we're gonna do our best but you're gonna probably either lose the arm or you're just gonna die buddy um actually sidebar i actually don't think uh, amputation surgery was not that uh well either it wasn't done well either um so yeah you've essentially got people who would be dying from disease who are now living but it's not a hundred percent right because, you know, there's still things like stagnant water and yellow fever and stuff like that that can still spread. Um, that, you know, that, that wouldn't be taken care of just by uh, adding in an antibiotic because that's a virus. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it would start changing the math of who lives and who dies. Um, you will have people surviving um, these infections that ordinarily would have killed them uh, because we just didn't have the know-how to treat their wounds well.
0: Yeah, I can totally imagine the giant corporate tycoons who, to this day, of course, you know, they resist any, if anyone comes along and says you need to spend a lot of money cleaning up the mess you've made, for instance, um, whether it's a municipal caused mess, um, you know, it could be something as extreme as what happened in Flint, Michigan, with the water supply getting polluted because of some mismanagement Mm -hmm. or just general, any Any municipality has a limited funds and there's always a reluctance to sp- anyway whoever it is who's in charge of spending money to clean up the infrastructure is going to find every way possible to avoid doing that if they can and so I can totally imagine them saying well we don't need uh, what do we need to clean it up for we've got these antibiotics we've saved the day yeah, yeah. We can respect and them, then yeah. and then they secretly invest you know they they buy up stock in these companies, and they become very rich on that. And then they have even less incentive to.
2: Well, that's the thing too, yeah. right? Penicillin could be made for dirt cheap. I mean, oh, the thing about any kind of, you know, antibiotic or anything that's derived from a microorganism is that you can just grow gallons of these guys oh, and then right. purify them out. So, penicillin right. was pretty cheap too. It wasn't like it was, you yeah, know, correct. some wow. far. You know, something that only like you could buy if you were super rich, Um, which sort of immediately brings me to the thing that I see happening is antibiotic resistance, just rampant antibiotic resistance. So to kind of just explain what this is, is that um, bacteria do not like being poisoned Uh, (laughs) and antibiotics are basically (laughs) poisons. And unlike us, where if you poison us enough times, we're dead or super weak. If you poison a population of bacteria because of some genetic heterogeneity that not all of them are genetically the same, some of them may survive being poisoned. Um, And some of that could be kind of random. Maybe it's just slightly less effective on this bacteria because it has this mutation. It could be that the bacteria is already natively resistant to it. um, Or it could just be chance, right? Right. That, you know, you didn't take your antibiotics long enough, it didn't get around to killing this last couple of guys, and then they, you know, grow. And essentially there's a chance for the bacteria to mutate in such a way that they no longer are susceptible to being killed by uh, the antibiotic. Um, So I think if I remember for penicillin, um, there's an enzyme that will cleave, there's like a, I think it's a beta-lactam ring in the structure of penicillin, just cleaves it and inactivates the penicillin. I'm pretty uh, sure that's okay. how the antibiotic cool. resistance is. Uh, it, it's really, it's the mechanisms for evolving it are really neat. Um, other times, they'll change a protein. Uh, so, for example, if I remember correctly, for like tuberculosis, um, rifampicin-resistant tuberculosis will change its uh, ribosomes, because rifampicin will target uh, ribosomal proteins, I think, and essentially will just tweak it a little bit so it can still survive, and maybe it works a little bit slower now, but it's resistant to this chemical that otherwise would have killed it and so in this like 1870s now antibiotic filled world where we don't really know what bacteria are we don't really have a good idea of disease we just know throw antibiotics at it and it dies we're going to be throwing antibiotics at a lot of things that aren't necessarily going to be killable by antibiotics so we're going to be throwing it at viruses we're going to be throwing it everywhere and so you're going to probably have situations in which the bacteria are exposed to a lot of it and they're just going to evolve resistance very quickly because it's sort of everywhere
1: wow so so that's super important yeah and scary yeah
0: so what does that mean that by that let's say that if that were to happen by the time you got to the 1930s what are we what do you think we'd be looking at when uh when penicillin in our timeline was discovered, um, they would have had it for 60 years already. Um, But do you think that, I mean, in other words, 60 years from now, are we looking at our society being extremely, having a lot of resistance to antibiotics? Are antibiotics getting less effective so that 60 years from now we're going to be in trouble?
2: Well, I guess it depends too how fast this, you know, if... John Tyndall, all of a sudden, like he has his Eureka moment, he's discovered penicillin and now is like, I'm gonna go hunting for others. If he's developing more, then it's possible that you know we might stay ahead of it because there are new ones. Um, and what's kind of interesting is that now we sort of have an opposite problem where there are a lot of antibiotics that we've identified but they're difficult to test and bring to market um, because there's, they're not cost-effective for drug companies cost a lot of money to test an antibiotic, but they're very cheap, and therefore, they would never make their money back. So um, you could sort of potentially have the inverse, where every kind of antibiotic is being discovered, tested, marketed, um, but it might be sort of because we have to develop them as fast as possible, because the bacteria are just becoming resistant to them all depressed. the way behind us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> But to, so to get back onto our A-line if, what, what I love is this happens sometimes. that we we, We're following one if and then tangential ifs rear their head and they mm-hmm. could be followed a ways. If we back up back to our main line if, that was that um, the antibiotics work and therefore we get lazy about cleaning up our infrastructure so that if we were to jump to the present day, 2022, um, we'd be living in a world... Let's say where. Let's say we've managed to dodge uh, antibiotic resistance. We've managed to stay ahead of it, right? We. It, it, what it comes down to is here, here's a, a, a almost like a trade off. It's like you know what if you um, had all the medicine you needed to stay healthy while living in total filth, would you to- live in total filth? Would we even consider it total filth? Well, Maybe. I think
1: that's. I think uh, judging from. I don't know, the way America thinks about these sorts of things these days. Um, yeah. If we have a, a pill that can fix the symptoms, um, I don't think we're going to invest right. huge amounts of money in preventing right. the problem. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, There's a sense in which the whole medical industrial complex is built around that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're, um, uh, we're going to be happy to, to wade through filth on the streets um, and drink dirty water because we can easily treat the symptoms uh, that we get from it. But, uh, yeah. as Gabby yeah. points out, that's going to last a couple of generations. Um, and then those antibiotics are uh, the effectiveness there is going to drop off quite dramatically, Um, and that could be um, quite bad,
2: (laughs) I think. I think we're also gonna just continually have problems with viruses. Um, So bacteria are one thing, they're everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But viruses are usually transmitted person to person. It doesn't have to be like COVID where it's just airborne. It can be through waste. Like we have a a category that's just other potentially infectious material. Um, That's blood, that's poop. Like, so if you've got one person in your water supply with Ebola and that's just sort of going out in the streets, congratulations, your entire neighborhood has Ebola. So yeah, yeah. containing and managing any kind of spread of a person to person kind of virus is going to be hard. And if we don't really have like our nice like storm drains and stuff like that, so then you're getting standing water, congratulations, yellow fever, any kind of arbovirus is going to be so, so, so happy in the city. And I think that but was the case in like Philadelphia, right? Like they used to have huge waves of yellow fever. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Um, uh, uh, it is really fun through the safety of, of your imagination to imagine <laughs> a world in which we live in just extreme filth. There is a movie called Hard to Be a God, which uh, I, I was don't just know looking this. up. I think it came out in 2013, I think. And um, it's actually a remake of an earlier movie that was made maybe in the 70s, which was based on a science fiction book. But uh, long story short, it's uh, it's simply, um, uh, it's about a planet where they live in medieval-like conditions. And what makes it science fiction is that some people from another planet, I guess Earth or something, uh, are able to go to this world and um, where they live in, you know, Just It looks like our medieval world with people walking around with swords and shields and there's horses and everything like that. It's a way, it's it's sort of like, what if you could go back to medieval times and experience it? But uh, the 2013 version of the film is so, it's an independent film. It's a little bit in the style of, it's a different director, I believe. But uh, it's a little bit in the style of the movie The Lighthouse, if anyone saw that. Um, It's black and white. And it is, and the reviews have said this, it's a hard movie to watch, but it is the most vivid description, most vivid uh, visualization of what it would really have been like to live in medieval times. The amount of sewage, and it's always raining, and everyone's nose is always running. And the the way that people live and act, it's completely disgusting, you know, because they have no... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don 't have even any of the gestures that we have today, like they wouldn't if they sneeze or something they don't cover their mouth you know it's <laughs> just like uh, yeah it goes on and on and on all, all the way up to like disgusting things like what what how kings would treat their you know victims they had conquered and things like that torturing and all that kind of stuff um but it's fun to imagine just imagine our world i'm I'm always having fun imagining uh, apocalyptic versions of New York I'd imagine whatever city you live in where it's um you know, it's as disgusting as it would have been in me- medieval times. You know, there's just literally raw sewage just pouring down the main street. Pigs are being stolen. <laughs> Pigs are being captured. <laughs> um, people are throwing their waste outside of windows. I've always thought it would be kind of funny to imagine a high-rise city, like with skyscrapers, where people still had chamber pots that they emptied, you know, their uh, waste, yeah, would poured it down. down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just have, like, waterfalls of sewage just <laughs> pouring <laughs> down building But we're all jacked up on these antibiotics and and other medications. Let's say you know, let's say we just got a super head start and all that kind of stuff, and we're totally fine. You wouldn't notice, you know, what you don't know what you don't know, right? We would uh, well, probably right. be used yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the points of this of this movie, Hard to Be a God, or that kind of thing, was that well. For the scientists, basically scientists go to visit these planets and they have to live in disguise because they don't want to reveal that they're from another planet. So for them, it's horrific what they're looking at. But all the people who live there, it's completely normal and they're fine. You know, they're, they're as happy as can be <laughs> or as miserable as can be. They just, that's the way it is. Um, Matt, what would uh, what would Greenwich Village look like in this uh, scenario?
1: Well, I mean, right now,
0: which, by the way, we should point out, is a lovely, almost Parisian, left bank-style uh, neighborhood with cobblestone streets.
1: And uh, yeah, parks. there's a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, as you pointed out, um, Washington Square Park used to be um, a giant graveyard, um, and in large part, it was a graveyard for the victims of the cholera epidemics of the 19th century, which ah. were what. Spurred on the construction of the sewers in the first place. Um, oh, so, uh, and and it's only after the cholera epidemics end that um, uh, that Greenwich Village turns into the the, the Bohemian neighborhood it is today. Um, so, uh, if um, if we don't build the sewers, <laughs> then the neighborhood um, still stays uh, pretty nasty. Um yeah. so it actually uh, I would imagine it remains the industrial zone um it was then um there's no reason to clean it up like so if you know the neighborhood Minetta Lane um is is a, a very quaint little street now um, but it's named after uh, what used to be Minetta Creek um, which was a place where you did your washing um and is one of the reasons that cholera spread through the neighborhood so so thoroughly. Um, so uh, Greenwich Village you know, used to be sort of a swamp, uh, a series of um, creeks that that came together. Um, so I think it probably still would be um, today. Um, if nobody now builds having, the sewers, you still need the water. So. Having gone to
0: college there, having gone to NYU, I can also say that down by Manen- maybe not on Manhattan mm-hmm. Lane itself, but right around there, uh, Mercer Street, etc., are a number of uh, bars that are very popular with the college students, which are now the sources of disease of all kinds. I can imagine. Uh,
1: that's right. A different, a different mm-hmm. strain
0: of disease. Yeah, that that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. Um, so really, the if is is almost it, it comes down to what the if um, we didn't build sewers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So it is right, funny so
2: you mentioned that it was like on Mercer Street, and I thought you said Merca Street, which is stands for <laughs> methicillin-resistant <laughs> metham- <laughs> Aureus, And I was like, yeah, it would kind of be Mercer Street. Walking down Mercer Street,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, Gabby. How do you how do you imagine uh, your day walking through a city with no sewers, especially up there? Oh, I was trying there, to midtown. That'd be crazy.
2: Yeah, midtown would be a nightmare. Um, I was trying to think more of like what my job would be like if we didn't Mm -hmm. value sanitation right because a lot of what we do is about cleanliness and sterility where like we know that we're bringing in stuff as much as the stuff can hurt us as well so i'm just kind of imagining like you know we're probably doing this stuff without biosafety cabinets just like you know on whatever like we have so many very, very strict things about the disposable and, disposal and inactivation of our waste that goes into the municipal water supply. So now rather than like carefully bleaching all of our bacteria, all of which by and large have at least some form of antibiotic resistance because that's how we tell, that's how we select for things. If you have a population of bacteria and you want only the stuff that you put in it, you make it antibiotic resistant and then plate it on something with antibiotics so only your thing grows. But now just imagine you finish that experiment and you just dump it down the sink. Now that's just you know into the water supply or whatever. I mean, I guess actually the sink wouldn't exist, really. We don't have that kind of infrastructure. Well,
1: that's right. right. You just pour it out into the
2: street. It goes into a bucket that I then throw into the street at the end of the day. Right right down onto the
1: FDR highway.
2: (laughs) Oh, we grow so many gallons of bacteria. That's right. So that's that's an interesting
1: kind of feedback loop, right? Is that not only do we not get the crud out of the streets, but we're producing more crud um, and more vigorous crud, presumably, because you're good at your job, um, yeah. uh, which then doesn't get brought out of the streets. So maybe we get sort of an exponential consumption of antibiotics to fight back against this, this yeah. increased production of bacteria, too, um, yeah. which yeah. will make, when resistance finally develops, will make that crash even worse.
2: Yeah.
1: I think ultimately this, this has only one outcome, and that's
0: Godzilla. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> well
2: I was gonna mention that so much of our stuff fluoresces green or anything like that that we put in <laughs> yeah. fluorescent reporters. So you can always tell the stuff that like fell out of the laboratory because there's yeah. just like a line of like green slime down the yeah. road.
0: Yeah. no doubt Godzilla just comes up from the East River just like <laughs> stands up like thank you. Yeah. Probably out of gold think Out of the
2: Gawana's It might be there. like Hogzilla though, in this particular <laughs> thing. <laughs> One pig just falls into a vat. And just comes back out.
1: Hogzilla is a great place to end. All right. Yeah. So, Philip, that's your next film, if you don't.
2: Hogzilla,
1: <laughs> yeah. right. Hogzilla versus Sharknado. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's really fun. Well, thank you both for this. Thank you both for this very pungent, very pungent episode. Oh,
2: don't um... call it pungent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, and a special bonus only for Patreon listeners. Those of you who are our Patreon supporters are going to get bonus extra toxic content coming up. We will, uh, uh the three <laughs> of us. Is that really going to get people to subscribe? I, don't know I think, I don't see why, you know, somebody, there are some people who want that, you know. So, again, through the safety of imagination, through the miracle mm-hmm. yeah, of okay. wonder, right. Fair enough, you yeah. can explore. This is what, what we don't, what's the point of calling it the if, you know, what the if, if we don't go a little, hey, what the ick? <laughs> <laughs> what Ooh. the ick is this, is this episode? Um, but uh, Patreon supporters this week, as uh, every week, I try to do it every week um so there is an extra you know uh 10 or 15 minutes or so of uh, bonus content that we do we continue the discussion there and uh we often talk about other things other things that are happening in our lives uh, somewhat less pungent more fragrant etc um all kinds of things happening in the uh, patreon exclusive zone along with all the merch you get uh, depending on what tier level you join at and all that kind of stuff. So Patreon, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Patreon is a membership program. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash if. Go check it out. It's totally free to check it out. No obligations whatsoever. But just see all the kinds of things that uh, people who are members are getting and see if you would like to join. We'd love to have you as a member. Um, uh, Matt, Gabby, anything you'd like to plug besides the sewage holes? <laughs> in, in, the, in the walls uh, no I'm plugless at the moment plugless Gabby plugless um, yeah okay uh, uh, Gabby would you help us now wrap it up how do, we, how do we reset the universe for those of us those who are listening who want to go back to a normal life
2: yeah do we do so we the, have we, a, a cl- yeah. we have our closing ritual That as we are trying to walk our dog through these sewage-choked streets of this alternate universe, and we see a wave of green slime come out from the street in front of us, Hogzilla right behind it, we cannot help but shout the name of the show and try to go back. (laughs) What? (laughs) The...
0: Watch on your pigs, don't let them nap in the street, and then get pig-napped, anything could happen. Uh, I think this, another thing is, I think you you get, we get new appreciation for ordinary things, happens after a lot of areas, so I think as you go wash your hands today, as you should enjoy the cleanliness, Uh, and tell us uh, what would your city be like under under the reign of Hogzilla? Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Don't forget to join Patreon if you haven't already. Subscribe on your podcast app if you haven't done that already. And we'll see you next week.